Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour on this week's show. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself. We're going to talk about fall camp, talk about Florida's position battles, point guard and the front court, get into all your listener questions, and then a really fun segment. We're going to go over-under on a bunch of different statistical projections and predictions for the 2020-21 season. We hope you enjoy this show. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do. And uh, beat Georgia. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am your host, Neil Blackman, with my co-host, uh, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, getting closer to basketball season, man. Hey, we're uh, we're a month away. We're less than a month away, uh, which is crazy because for so long it felt so far away that it almost doesn't feel real that it's so close. Uh, but man, with uh, the NBA ending, I am craving some basketball uh, you know, love football. That's uh, that's filling a little bit of a void. Nice that the Gators are going to get back on the back on the field. But uh, but man, yeah, we're within striking distance of, of basketball, and uh, I'm just so excited for it. Yeah, I know we get to uh, we get to see. We're recording on a Friday night, so the Gators will be back in action tomorrow night. Um, and by the time we release this pod in mass to the public, uh, it'll be Sunday because I'm not going to release it on a game day. Um, but yeah, so people will have seen Florida play. Hopefully there's a, a big Florida victory, uh, you know, kind of a crazy game with, with Missouri because of all the COVID stuff, you know, and, and maybe COVID is a good place as, as good a place as any to start our discussion today where Mike White said last week that at one point they were practicing with five and, and they were kind of like, it was like Hoosiers where they were like, yeah, our five's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you took that with the positive spin because, uh, yeah, man, it was a little bit scary uh, to hear. And um, obviously, you didn't say any names, which totally supportive of that. We don't need to know. No reason for us to know. It's all good. But, uh, but yeah, it just uh, it, it shows that the staff is definitely taking things seriously. Um, maybe given the way that uh, things have unfolded with some of the comments from, uh, you know, Florida's football head man and the way that their uh, their positive tests have gone. It's uh, it's nice to see maybe something different from uh, from the basketball side. Really supportive of that. But uh, hopefully they're on the, the right side of everything. And just just hopefully everyone can stay safe, because as we look across the college basketball landscape, there's definitely some skepticism with a couple of these multi-team events. Uh, definitely some skepticism. Oh, you know what, Neil? We have to uh, we, we were about to eat a plate of crow actually from saying there is no way UConn is going to travel to Gainesville then that game was announced we almost had to admit that we were wrong uh, but then we <laughs> did uh, UConn is not coming so uh which which yeah just just a reminder that I, like I'm just not going to take any game for granted if, right. if Florida ends up playing cupcakes man I'm going to treat it like it's a final four game like I just uh I will take zero games for granted this year I'm excited to see Anytime Florida is on the court, uh, I, I hope it's the fully allotted amount of games. Uh, we'll talk a bit, little bit about that later. Uh, so Neil, you can uh, ra- start wrapping your head around that. Wink, wink. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, uh, yeah, just it's just a reminder that uh, man, this could be taken at any moment. So just don't take anything for granted. Yeah, no, I I thought that was uh, that's a great point. And you know what I really like about. Um, you know, I thought it was great that Coach Mullen came out and 
kind of walked back what he said. And, and you know, I don't think that there was any uh, anything, and I don't, I know you don't either think that there was anything, um, you know, malicious or malevolent about what, what, what Mullen said. It's just, we have to, we all have to be careful uh, at this point in time, especially, you know, with this new surge in the States and, and luckily people are getting better for the most part, but, but uh, you know, it's just, it's just such a crazy time. I got my uh, letter uh, from the program last week asking if I was going to keep my season tickets this year. And of course I rushed to fill out the survey and be like, yeah, of course I am. Why, <laughs> why would I give up my season tickets? But uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we don't even know how that's going to work yet because they haven't sent us follow-ups, um, at least to season ticket holders that have been around as long as I have. Uh, we haven't gotten anything, Eric. So, you know, who knows? But I was a little bummed about the UConn game. I hope, uh, I hope that that is just, you know, something that's temporary and that eventually UConn makes their way down to Gainesville to finish the, the deal with that contract. There weren't any many details about the cancellation. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if Florida, you know, reschedules a game for, for that uh, weekend because that's an open weekend um, where there's a football home game and you would think – or sorry, a football road game. And so you would think that, you know, a football – a basketball home game would be, you know, a good opportunity to kind of have the spotlight on campus. Yeah, the other thing with uh, with the UConn game, and and I'm gonna trust that there was nothing, uh, I'd, I'll say fishy going on with it. Uh, <laughs> but I will say this: I mean, NC State announced UConn as an opponent uh, before Florida and and UConn both said uh, before Florida released their their first schedule when it said they are playing UConn. Uh, North uh, NC State they released their schedule and it had UConn on their schedule uh, just the day I think it's the day after after Florida was supposed to play UConn. So I was like, hmm, that's very interesting that they're apparently going to play back to back in different cities and back-to-back nights uh hmm that sounds a little bit shaky so then it was a couple weeks later when of course UConn says uh no we're not going to come to Gainesville which I totally understand I am not faulting UConn for not wanting to travel but uh I just hope that it that the Gators knew long in advance because it certainly looked like UConn had decided long in advance that they were not coming to Gainesville uh they scheduled another game for essentially the same day so I, I do just hope that Florida had a lot more of a heads up than they did. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, Florida had released their schedule and it had UConn on it uh, only a you know week or so before that. So uh, maybe they didn't know, but let's just hope that UConn did the right thing and, uh, and, and told Florida right away that they weren't coming and didn't just go ahead and schedule a game with NC state only to, uh, to then decide, Oh yeah, for, we should tell Florida we're not planning on coming. Yeah, no, I think uh bull Gator hit it on the head when he, he tweeted us um, like a, Pretty almost a week ago now, and he said, he said what you were saying. The NC State game was the following day, and you would think that they either set NC State and when confirmed canceled the Florida game, or hopefully they let Florida know first <laughs> and then set NC State, and like it just kind of went out that went down that way. Um, I want to do a couple of listener questions at the top, which I know is a little different than than we've done things, Eric, but we have we have a fun show tonight, and. Uh, and why not start with our uh, listeners? So William Norris, longtime listener, said, we have heard from the staff in the past, and this kind of plays into some of the mailbag stuff that you got into at Gator Country. If you're not reading Eric's stuff at Gator Country and you're a new listener to the podcast, please go and read Eric's stuff at Gator Country. It's, it is the best stuff 
on Florida basketball that you will find. So make sure you read it. Uh, William Norris said that uh, we've heard they want to play faster, even when the personnel hasn't exactly fit. Why should a skeptical fan buy that line from the staff this time around? Well, that skepticism is fair. Like, let's uh, totally let's fair. Not beat, let's not beat around the bush there. Uh, but he, uh, you know, you know, William almost answers the question a little bit in his uh, in the way he asked in the way he asked the question because uh, he mentioned that in these past seasons, personnel hasn't really fit the fast style of play. Yet they said we're going to play fast, and uh, what happened? They didn't end up playing fast because the personnel wasn't there. So then I think you look at this year's roster and you say hey, the personnel is actually suited to play fast, then suddenly it's a lot more easy to believe that they actually are going to push the pace. So uh, a healthy level of skepticism is totally fair in this scenario. It's been multiple years now. Florida hasn't played super fast. People like to say, oh, as soon as we lost Chioza, you know, things really slowed down. Well, the fact of the matter is even in Chioza's last year, Florida was not playing fast. So this is not... uh, uh, that's kind of a little bit of a misconception, I would say. So yeah, it has been multiple years of Florida not playing fast. Um, having some skepticism is is totally fair, but I but I will say, yeah, you look at Tyree Appleby, you look at Trey Mann taking another step, you look at Anthony Derugi, even uh, you you look at Samson Rusensev and, and Niels Lane, or sorry, Niles Lane, as as is pronounced by by yeah. Coach White. I'll have to get into that habit. Now it's like, those are guys that, uh, that like to play up and down. So I, I do look at the roster and say, well, it, it does fit it. So uh, I, I am more inclined to believe it, but I am also uh, going in with a bit, little bit of, uh, uh, hey, we'll, we'll see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, next question from Sarah in Tampa with the UConn game off the slate. Who would you like to see? My votes are for Iona, Grand Canyon, or UNC, I know that those are some wide open choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually was about to throw the question to you, Neil, and then uh, uh, before you got into the mailbag, and then of course Sarah kind of nails it. I was going to ask you who you wanted to see Florida schedule, and I was also going to note that it has been kind of made known. Uh, Norlander from CBS was reporting this. I think I saw it somewhere else as well that Florida is looking to fill that uh, fill that game with the high major team, um, where you know Florida's got a heck of a schedule, man, with with Virginia and Florida State and uh, you know West Virginia. Uh, uh, so I, I kind of thought, hey, maybe you know you take UConn out, maybe they take a, a cupcake or an easier game, but uh, no, definitely not. Uh, they are. Uh, they said that they're looking for a high major game. So I was actually going to ask you what uh, what you were thinking about uh, who Florida should schedule. So for one, let me start with that's a great question, and and I think let me at least start with this. I think Grand Canyon is actually interesting, even though it's not a high major game because it's Bryce Drew, right? And we know that him and Mike are friends, and so it's kind of like and Grand Canyon has nothing going on that weekend. So, like, that's all stuff we already know. Uh, another program that has nothing going on that weekend is Maryland. Uh, and I've mentioned multiple times, I think, on, over our two years on Florida Basketball Hour that I, I'd love to see uh, Florida do that again. They did it in the early 2000s, as Eric did some research and found out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it'd be a good game. And it's not, it's not like a, the best team in the, in the Big Ten. But it's it's going to be an NCAA tournament team, so it's a high major where you get like an early tournament type battle, which I think UConn was right. Like I think UConn was a team that, that they were going to be on the bubble, but they were going to get in. I think so. 
you know, that kind of replicates it. Maryland may be a little bit better a basketball team than UConn right now, at least on paper. But, that, you know, that would be cool to have them come to the O'Connell Center. What, what are you thinking? Well, it would actually be really fun, and I know Florida would not do this because it's not totally fair, but, uh, I mean, Grand Canyon, if you haven't heard of it, uh, one of the best home courts uh, in the country. Uh, they just go wild there. Uh, I think it would be super cool to see Florida play there. I doubt Florida has any interest in playing there, and it also would be super lame to be like, hey, come to Gainesville during a pandemic, and then we'll return the game next year when when hopefully it's yeah. capacity uh but if they could work something like, who knows out to, to have florida like if florida wanted to go on the road sometime uh going to like a crazy road environment at grand canyon would be fun but um I'm, i'll be honest with you neil i haven't done the research to really <laughs> say uh to, to really look at you know like you said who has uh who's got the open weekend uh maryland's a great one though i i, I do think it's going to be maybe a little tougher to get these big 10 teams uh, on the on the right. slate but right. uh but man maryland would be a fun one so i'll, I'll I'll just backpack on your answer. Nice. Uh, and, and so Sarah knows that the Iona Gales uh, currently do not have a game scheduled for that <laughs> weekend either. So if Rick Pitino wants to come to town, I'm sure he would be welcome. Um, by all, by all. Uh, Tim A at Humphrey Bookett asks, how is Pinkins enjoying this front court? What are you hearing? Seems like it might be the deepest White's had. Uh, in terms of deep as he's had, that could very well be the case. I mean, I guess um, healthy Igbunu, Gorjak Yak, and, and Kavarius Hayes, even though young, that, that would be the deepest. So I'd say that's the, uh, that's the bar to, uh, to what is the deepest front court. And I would say that could very well be the case this year, especially if you factor in like Daruji as a guy who could play the five. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think what's so interesting this year is it actually just looks like Florida has a, a few options because uh, again, even when you had back, like, you know, back in the day with back in the day, a few years ago with John Igbudu, Kavari Sates, and Borjak Yak, there's not a huge diversity in skill sets there. Like, uh, yeah, Igbunu's a lot more like power versus, you know, Hayes was more slighter, but I mean, it was mostly guys who were pretty limited to setting screens and, and catching lobs. Uh, but you, you look at this year's team and you've got that lob catcher in, in Omar Payne. You've got someone who can put the ball on the deck a little bit more and pass it in Colin Castleton. And uh, you've got someone who's a post-up threat in, in Jatobo, at least in his small sample size he showed. And uh, that's not even getting into the Osifo or the Daruji guys who could get some run there. So I, I think the, the, the combination of talents is is going to be pretty interesting. And I, I'm really interested to see how Florida plays it just because again, I, I think Omar Payne's the the starter. I think he might be the best option there, but I do wonder, you know, at the end of a tight game, uh, you know, Payne struggled from the free throw line at times. He doesn't have, uh, he's not, he's not someone if he's anywhere near the three point line or anywhere near not the hoop, the teams are going to respect offensively, but, but Castleton's that guy. So does Florida end up closing games a little bit more with Castleton than Payne, even if Payne is your starter? I, I, I wonder. Yeah, it's great stuff. Uh, CLT Gator. So either E Fawcett seven cut his hair and is now a drummer, or that's the guy from bare naked ladies. When is your band opening for Gator Growl? <laughs> yeah, my wife was giving me a hard time. I mean, my uh, Twitter profile picture uh, has been the same for like four years since I got <laughs> married. And uh, my wife was bugging me to change it. So I did. And the only pictures of me that are like anything good are, yes, of me, of me playing the drums. So, uh, yes, that is that is the origin of the uh, the drumming Eric Fawcett uh, profile I, I, picture. But 
I like it. Tell tell Rachel she did she did well to get you to, <laughs> to change it up. Zach Ward asks if we'll be more up tempo and do more pressing this year. Who do you see as the starting five? Which kind of tees up one of your uh, mailbag questions, I think. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you're gonna have to uh, let let's hold off on the tempo talk. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Um, but uh, in terms of starting five, you know what? I have uh, I. I, I there's just been too much, too much reports of, of Trey Mann being so good. I, I've got to put him in the starting lineup. And yeah. I, I didn't have him in my original. Everyone knows I was riding with Tyree Appleby. But, uh, man, I, I think it's uh, – I'm looking at uh, the way that Noah Locke is coming off of injury. I kind of think day one starters are going to be Tyree Appleby, Trey Mann, Scotty Lewis, Keontae Johnson, Omar Payne, and I'd love, for, love to hear from you, Neil. So my only thing is that – and maybe I'm just reading tea leaves too much or tweet leaves, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely like been in some chats with people on Twitter about some of the starting potential starting lineups. And the one that gets favorites from parents, moms, <laughs> and I don't just mean one, I mean like three is Trey man, Scotty Lewis, Keontae Johnson, Anthony Deruji, and Omar Payne. What do you hey, think, I think I think the moms know what they're talking about because, I, I, again, Deruji, I think, is just so good. He could easily be in the starting lineup. The other, the other lineup I think would be great, I do not see this happening, would be Tyree Appleby, Trey Mann, Keontae Johnson, uh, Anthony Deruji, and, and Omar Payne. I'm for, uh, that, I'm for that lineup, by the way. That's a good lineup. And, and again, you know, I'm obviously expecting a jump in Scotty Lewis's play, but ah. if he does not make a jump or does not make a massive jump, I, I could very well see him not being one of the best five players on the team, just to be frank. And uh, again, if Florida is going to play dribble drive, they need guys who can make plays off the dribble. And uh, if uh, if he hasn't brought that element to his game, uh, they're going to need more playmakers. And that could be a backcourt of uh, of Tyree Appleby and, and Trey Mann versus like a Trey Mann and a Scotty Lewis or a Tyree Appleby and Scotty Lewis. So uh, there's competition there. And uh, I, I really think that Andy Drugy is going to just claw his way onto the court. They're going to have to find minutes for him. Maybe it's at the five, but maybe it's pushing out one of those perimeter guys. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, another spot, and, and speaking of Dorigi at the five, closing our listener questions with uh, Malik, our boy Malik Grady, who, who we've got to get on the show now that I've done a, a Gators breakdown episode with him. Um, so we just, we'll just hop in Malik for a, a three-person show at some point. But Malik asked about... Uh, if we still think that there's a possibility that we'll see some Anthony Deruji at the five and uh, you know, from the rooftops, I continue to shout yes and hope the coaches hear me. I think so. And I think the, the, I think the coaches want to play fast and want to play smaller and that could uh, very well be Deruji at the five. I also think there's going to be times where you've just got to get your best five basketball players on the floor. And when I just, you know, kind of tear, the players on the roster uh one to five i i think that there might not be omar Payne or colin castleton or jason jatobo in that mix but i do see druji in that mix so uh they certainly have to try it i mean i'm gonna be so on top of the lineup data this year i'm gonna be all over the lineup combinations uh probably to an annoying amount for people who listen to this podcast or read uh but we're gonna know what works and uh i just yeah hope that uh, that plays into the decision making of the coaching staff a little bit yeah, no, I hope so. Um, so that is wishing or listener questions. I, I, a couple of quick notes before we get into some uh, a good segment that that uh, Eric 
uh, came up with or thought that we should do, and I, and I thought it was a great idea. Uh, you know, a couple additional camp notes. We continue to hear good things about Trey Mann, um, and and Eric kind of alluded to it, but I, I continue to hear that he's just a totally different player. Um, and in camp, uh, that that he's been just really shooting the ball well, doing everything that's been asked defensively, showing skill as a passer, a willingness to attack the basket, just doing all those things, which is great news. Another couple guys that that have that I've heard um, really great things about from multiple people inside the program are Niles Lane, uh, just a relentless freshman. Look, if you don't, and this is going to get into a coach's corner segment that we're going to do here, and and maybe the best way to tee it up is if you're expecting Niles Lane to score a lot or to do anything like that, don't. Um, you know he's. Any buckets he gets are going to be secondary buckets, uh, help buckets, putbacks, things like that. I don't think he's going to do a ton of, of taking shots and, and, and anything like that where he tries to initiate offense. But I do think that he's going to be a difference maker defensively from everything I've heard out of camp and that they love his motor, they love his defense. And I think that when they talk about doing a little more uh, pressing, when they talk about getting back to some of these – original Mike White pack line principles, Eric, he's kind of an ideal guy. So I've got a wild question for you. I mean, uh, Scotty Lewis was someone who came in as kind of had a reputation of one of the best, if not the best defender in uh, in the 2019 class. Um, I did not think he was a great defender for Florida. I have talked about that multiple times. Yeah. Let's get into it. But I don't think he was a very good defender at times. And uh, I would say at best was an average defender uh, when you look at the whole season on, on the whole. So do you think that Niles Lane will be a better defender than Scotty Lewis as a freshman? I think he'll be a better one as a freshman. Do I think he'll be a better one than Scotty is as a sophomore? I.e. will Niles Lane be a better defender this season than Scotty Lewis is this season? I don't know. Um, what I like is the versatility that having both of them offers. Um, like assuming Scotty Lewis makes a little bit of a leap, Eric, you know, there's never been like the reason that Virginia started playing the pack line really was because Tony Bennett got there and initially recruiting was a little bit slow and they didn't have like a plethora of wings and they didn't, they didn't look like Virginia does now. Right. Like they didn't have elite athletes. And so they were able to compete better um, by playing the pack line defense, which is just really just, if you think of it as like, I always feel like we have to explain this to listeners because I get two DMs anytime we talk about it. Like, what do you guys, it's just, it's a sagging man to man, right? So instead of defenders whose man is a pass away playing on the line, like to deny, they sag back and there's an imaginary line called the pack line. That's two feet inside the three point arc. And, you have four defenders off the ball, positioned on that line, and one defender pressuring the ball. Okay? Um, if you have really fast, quick athletes, you don't necessarily have to do that. But you can do it, and you can clog seams better if you have long guys who are quick laterally. And Florida did not do that that well last season uh, because Scotty Lewis was inconsistent defensively, one, I think. His best defensive game was Auburn. It's no coincidence Florida won that game by a lot because they were able to stop dribble drive penetration and get into the passing lanes, Eric. And I just think if you have Niles Lane, 
if you have Keontae Johnson, you can do that. And I also think it, it will help this Florida team rebound even better when they do play a little smaller, which is just huge for me. Cause I, you know, I'm a big fan of, of the idea that rebounding is one of the more underrated aspects that's hard to quantify analytically, but it's so important to winning. Yeah, the, uh, I'll be interested if they play more pack lane just because uh, uh, one of the key elements of Mike White defenses have been to limit three-point attempts. And mm-hmm. that's the one thing about playing pack line is that you're going to give up more three-point attempts. Yep. Uh, when you look at uh, the trends of college basketball in a whole, more teams are going to pack line. It's more popular than ever. And that was already happening before the three-point line got pushed back. And now that the three-point line got pushed back, I, I, I just think it's going to continue to get more, more popular to play pack line. And uh, yeah, the one thing too, talking about the way that Scotty Lewis plays and uh, even some of the other guys on Florida's team is, is the thing about pack line is you've got to play a little bit more conservatively. Like you, you can't be trying to guard the whole floor. And if you're playing some of the more denying schemes, like, uh, like Texas tech, for example, uh, yeah, you can extend, you can fly around, you can match up with your guy and try to take him away. You can gamble on steals. That's all well and great. Uh, in the pack line, uh, you've got to play a little bit more conservatively. You've got to help and recover quickly. Uh, so again, I thought that Scotty Lewis extended himself a little bit too much at times and got himself out of position. And uh, but yeah, as a you know one year older player, that could be a lot better. But uh, I am really interested to see how uh, how Florida if Florida does play the pack line more, just because uh, yeah, if you hear Mike White talk ever since ever since him and his staff was at Louisiana Tech, it was all about let's limit three pointers and uh, uh, going to the pack line would uh, would definitely be a change in that philosophy well i think and the other thing is they don't have to and, and that's kind of the point of if when you add a niles lane and you add that type of of length and and athleticism and you add a colin castleton and you add that wingspan and you get omar Payne a year older and this is the point of the roster flip right eric is that you don't have to play pack line you but you can there's three way. There's three things that are essential to defense, in in my mind. You know, and, and Eric knows that. Unfortunately, I could talk about defense for hours and bore you guys to death. But like, the three three important, most important. I tell my players, there's three things that, you know, not every defender can do. And if you can do all three of them, you're an elite defender. Deny, help, and what's the other one? Recover, right? And uh, if you play pack line, you only really have to help and recover. So you eliminate one of the things that you have to do because on the pack line, the defenders are already in position to help. Um, you know, you have gap defenders inside the pack line. But, but you don't necessarily have to play that way if you're long and you're fast and you're athletic. You just, it's just another option. But I think the main thing is this, this, a guy like Niles Lane can get out in the passing lanes and deny, but he can also sink down, sag down, and stop dribble drive penetration. So he's a guy that can deny, he can help, and he can recover. And, and that's why I think he's going to play a little bit more than maybe some people anticipated. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I can take that. And, uh, yes, lock it in. Uh, better defender than Scotty Lewis. Neil said it. That was uh, – you can tweet, tweet at him. But, <laughs> no, I'm just I, – I, I, I'm into that take. I, I can stand behind that too. Yeah, so the other thing I think he helps with and uh, the other thing that I think is maybe the argument for Omar Payne, and this is where I want to ask Eric a question, is that we have heard that they want to play some press. uh, And it was interesting to see Mike White call it a matchup press, which, you know, shades of Billy Donovan, I guess. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I have an article that's going to come up maybe tomorrow. I or this will be Saturday. So let's spoil it. But uh, but what I did is I just looked at uh, I looked at the press of uh, of Mike White at Louisiana Tech and one thing that struck out or stuck out at me uh, there was actually multiple things that stuck out at me uh, one of them was that you know I I I, I know he was known for the, the run and jump press which is yeah a little bit more of you start to you start man to man guy guarding the inbounder runs to double uh, but and that was what he was kind of known for uh, I was surprised to see pleasantly surprised to see that they actually press in a number of different ways and that's something that's really encouraging because. Uh, you know, we've talked so much about presses that don't work. The the Shaka Smarts, the Will Wades, uh, trying to bring that VCU press to higher levels of basketball, and it just hasn't worked. Uh, that was because they were just trying to create chaos. I mean, they called it the Havoc for a reason at VCU. It was one style yeah. that was really hectic, and uh, it just simply didn't work in, at the high major level. But the fact that uh, Louisiana Tech, the fact that they played multiple styles of press, that's one one is why they were also just so effective because I'm sure teams would prepare for one and then Florida or sorry, Louisiana Tech would change it mid-game. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a few tricks in the bag there. So I, I am interested to see. But uh, I, the one thing that I did come to the conclusion is that I don't think the run and jump press is going to be as effective uh, at the high major level. I think something closer to his own press would be more effective. So to hear him say, yeah, that kind of man switch kind of press um that that is something i like to hear yeah no it's good you don't get and, and the other thing it does is like that's a weakness that scotty lewis has in the press by the way and, and i'm not trying to here we go on scotty lewis again Eric. <laughs> <laughs> but like i don't want to call it a fake hustle because with scotty i think it's like real but you know what i'm talking about like when you set up your press and you get those guys that lunge and so like to the viewer at home, it might look like, oh, man, he just made a hustle play. But, like, it's really not a hustle play. It's lazy defense because the better thing you want to do is position yourself behind that man, right, so that you're downhill chasing him. And, uh, and yeah, man, it's fun to talk about defense, Eric. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but instead, like, you get, like, a Lewis, like, oh, he lunges out, and then all of a sudden, what's the problem? It's five on four the other way, right? Or, or, it's, or worse, it's five on three because you have a guy that's on the other side of the floor occupied. So really it's, it's four on three with, with your defender on the opposite side of the floor chasing. All that's bad. And I kind of like matchup press better because it just kind of puts your defenders in better spots to recover. Well, yeah, and that's something I'm going to be really interested in, and and something that's a difference between Louisiana Tech and and uh, Florida here is that it's it's not even a matter of level; it's a matter of era. So uh, back when uh, mm. back when Mike White was at Louisiana Tech, uh, the three point attempt rate was 32.9 percent. Uh, two years ago, it had, it had jumped by six percent uh, to 39 percent, and then uh, last season it was 37.5 percent. So that's just the the percentage of a team's total field goal attempts that are threes. So even between now and when uh, when White was at Louisiana Tech, there's just so much more of an emphasis on getting threes up. So I, I think that so many people, when they think of uh, a press getting beaten, they think of it ending in a two-on-one with the center back with his arms up, trying to guard a two-on-one, and the team gives up layups. The I, Robert I think Trailer dunk. <laughs> right. So people think, hey, you press, what you're going to give up is layups. And that's just not going to be the case. That's not the case for teams now that try to press in, in 2020. You're not giving up 
contested layups at the rim with your five man back there, you're giving up wide open corner threes. So that is one thing that I, I think will be really interesting if, if Florida does get into these recovery situations is, uh, again, I, I think that some presses are designed to chase guys down. And when it's a three on two or a two on one at the end with defenders trailing, okay, you can kind of make that work. But if, if teams are beating Florida's press and they're getting corner threes out of it, there's not much you can do. So, uh, yeah, how Florida recovers out of their press will be uh, will really be make or break, in, I think. Yes, good stuff. So there's your coach's corner on top of listener questions. And uh, we'll spend the last half hour at least on uh, this over-under segment that, that Eric's concocted that I'm pretty stoked for. Yeah, we had one Gators breakdown reference earlier where uh, where you and Malik joined uh, joined the panel there. But uh, something that Gators breakdown does uh, every year that I think is super fun is they do season predictions, uh, most of which are over unders. Uh, some are just some yeah, some general predictions. I, I think it's super fun. So I wanted to steal it, and uh, I did, and uh, I probably uh, went a little bit further than they do, and and went too deep into it, and, and <laughs> took it way too seriously. So, uh, which I'm prone to do at times. So, so Neil, I first have a couple of uh, of prediction questions. Uh, we are each going to answer them. I'm going to write it in this sacred document, uh, which is a Google Doc, <laughs> not actually sacred, yeah. and uh, we'll see at the end of the year who has more right predictions, and if anyone listening has a great idea for uh uh you know maybe a loser punishment maybe uh, uh maybe uh something the winner gets someone wants to sponsor something hey let's we'll, we'll see but it might just be bragging rights which is good enough for me so neil we're going to start with a couple of true predictions and then we're going to get into some over-unders i think it's going to be a good time so i've already Excellent. filled in our answers to the first question so uh, but it'll just give you an indication of how things are going to go um, actually, I will give you a chance to change your answer to this, but I don't think you will. Uh, so the first question is, who will be the freshman that plays the most minutes? I've currently uh, put Niles Lane in for you and Samson Rusensev in for me, uh, which we said weeks ago. I don't think you're going to change your answer, but I will give you the opportunity to now if you'd like. No, I'm going to stick with Niles on account of you know everything I've heard out of camp. And... Uh, I know that Samson is a good shooter. I think there's going to be there's going to be minutes for him, right? And he could be a guy that that Florida trusts more and more as the season goes on. But I think early in the season it'll definitely be Niles Lane. So it gives me kind of this thought that he'll edge out Rosensev by season's end. I do think the smart money would be on that. Um, I'm going to stick with uh, stick with Samson. I, I said it a couple weeks ago. I don't want to change my answer. And I'm also the guy who set the uh, the over-unders and the questions here. So I have a, a little bit of an inherent advantage. So if you get the edge on this question, that's, uh, that's probably fair. Uh, question number two, Neil, is who will be Florida's second leading scorer? Ooh, that is a good one. <laughs> Oh, Much better than uh, who will be their leading scorer, I thought. So I think Florida's second leading scorer will be Trey Mann. Trey Mann? That is totally fair. I'm going to, uh, once again, I think the smart money's on Trey Mann, but I'm going to go with Tyree Appleby. Uh, maybe it's just a little bit of bias here, as I do want to make sure we have some different answers between the two of us. <laughs> but, uh, I think uh, Tyree Appleby, just a more proven scorer. So I'm going to go with the proven proven kind of output versus, uh, you know, I think uh, we're all expecting a huge leap from man, but uh, yeah, I think Appleby has just, just shown for a couple seasons now he can score and, and think he's going to make that happen. But uh, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, I, I assume uh, you, you know, you have Keontae Johnson at number one. 
Yes, I think Keontae will be the uh, Keontae will be Florida's leading scorer. That's that's my that's my take there. Very hot take. Didn't even yeah. have to write that one down as one of our. I didn't even make that one of our predictions. <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, once again, I don't think we would argue on who is going to be first. So the question is, who will finish second in three pointers made? Who second in three pointers made? You know what? I think it's going to be Keontae Johnson. Okay. Why do you think that'll be the case? Um, sheer minutes. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I, I guess that's probably the hottest take I'm going to have. Uh, <laughs> and, and I guess it's because, you know what? And you're the Tyree Appleby expert, so I'm just not certain how well Tyree shoots the triple. And I think Trey's going to get his, right? But I still think from what I've heard – is that there's been a lot of attacking the basket and initiating contact. And like you've seen, just look at the pictures of Trey. Like he looks totally like Preston Green season has done wonders on him. So I think he's going to be a guy that, that like gets to the line a little more than, than he's the, you know, step back off the dribble three that we know he can make the Jalen Hudson triples. <laughs> well, uh, it's uh, it's a good answer, and I mean, I will go Tyree Appleby here. Uh, but man, I uh, the thing about Tyree Appleby is he was a much better shooter off the dribble than off the catch, and I do think in this offense he's going to have to uh, make more off the catch than than off the dribble. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, moving into our next question, so Neil, the uh, the way this is going to go is you and me will have to come to a consensus on this answer. If there is any discrepancy, I'm going to say that we bring it to uh, perhaps a Twitter poll, but I don't think we'll argue this, uh, but we may have to at the end of the season. Who will be Florida's defensive player of the year? Florida's defensive player of the year. Man, that's tough. Um, It's not clear. It's not clear. It really isn't clear. You know what? For now, for now, just because I think – He's just so fundamentally sound. I'm going to say Keontae Johnson. Yeah, that is uh, that's a fair that's a fair one. I think he's probably of the perimeter players. Uh, he, that's probably the that's probably the safest for sure. I mean, I I, I don't think Anthony Deruji was a you know outstanding defender uh, at Louisiana Tech. I thought he was good. Definitely has Plus, all the tools. Right. But uh, you know what? I'm going to go Omar Payne. I think he might just block a ridiculous amount of shots that kind of brings us to, um, you know, that his him anchoring the defense becomes the most important. Uh, maybe if Florida continues to play aggressive on the perimeter, he shows like maybe he's like 70% of what Kavarius Hayes was. Uh, and, you know, 70% of Kavarius Hayes could still... Uh, Still put him in, uh, still make him defensive player of the year. But you know, we're gonna have to discuss this, Neil, because this will be have to be consensus uh, of what we think at the end of the year. And you know what, we could we could go with Omar Payne to just not be boring. Also, he's like I like everything's been positive about Omar out of camp. Like everybody said, you know, efforts better, more consistent. uh, Because that was kind of what it was last year. Whether he got tired. And I think Omar would tell you that, which I which I think is awesome about him. By the way, he's accountable, good young man. Um, but you know, it's a consistency thing. It's not it's not a talent thing. Well, that could be a big one in the standings, Neil. If you're right with uh, Keontae Johnson, or if I'm right with Omar Payne later in the season. So uh, 
We'll all have right. to find that. <laughs> all right. uh, I, I'm glad though, Neil, we have different answers so far for all these different questions. So that's going to make, uh, going to make the, you know, make the standings a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Uh, this fun. one could be, uh, this one could be interesting. Will Florida beat Florida state? Gosh, darn it. <laughs> yes. That's a yes in capital letters on the Google doc for you there, Neil. Yes, they will win. I am also going to say yes. This is going to be the first time our answers align. Um, let's see if we're both right or if we're both wrong this year. But uh, it, might, it might be a little bit of a gut feel. But, man, Florida, I think Florida has the length to kind of hang with Florida's length. I think that uh, Florida's yeah. backward has a little bit of an edge. But uh, I'm sure we'll get into that into, uh, into greater detail uh, as, the, uh, as we get closer to that game. Uh, we will. We will. So – so this is going to be a discussion on another uh, another podcast we're going to have to get into. Uh, <laughs> but uh, something that has been talked about a whole lot by Florida's guards and a whole lot by Mike White has been assist-to-turnover ratio. So, Neil, the question is, who will lead the Gators in assist-to-turnover ratio? Tyree Appleby. <laughs> Tyree Appleby. Uh, I, I'm also going Tyree Appleby. Now nice. we're starting to align. I just think, uh, again – it's Trey man. It, it's so tough looking at man's numbers from last year because they just weren't great across the board. And I really do think he's a different player. So it's, it's tough to really look at what, uh, look at what he did and say like, Hey, this project towards a sophomore season. But that is the one thing I'm hearing about man is that he's still not the, he, he's scoring the ball at the high level, but he's not a great distributor. So I just don't think the raw assist totals will be there uh, to kind of bolster up what will be a couple of turnovers. So I think it'll be Appleby. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the thing about Tyree Appleby is that, like, whatever, whatever you think of that statistic, intent, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> like I said, we're going to need a whole other podcast for me to get uh, this. Yeah. That one, but. <laughs> Tyree Appleby was really good at it at Cleveland State. Like, it was really good. Like, it was. It was Cassius Winston level good. If you like, if you look at Bart Torvik or Funalytics, <laughs> things like that, yeah, he's he's already really good at it. Is is the SEC the Horizon League? No, um, but I still think it'll be a guy. He's going to be a guy that plays under control, um, and that will help. And I also think if Man makes the leap that that we think he's going to make. There's still going to be some – it's possible that those numbers are skewed a little bit just because Trey may be a little more selfish with the ball, right? Um, and so naturally you can get a few more turnovers that way. And he'll also kind of have to be because, you know, Florida may run things differently in that creative offense, way less set-reliant. Uh, your dominant ball guards, are, their assist-to-turnover ratios tend to be a little bit higher even when they protect the ball well. Yeah, like you said, I mean, the SEC is not the Horizon League, but also Appleby won't be shouldering a drastically outplayed roster in pretty much every game. I mean, he had to put the whole team on his back at Cleveland State. He won't have to do that at Florida. So I, I do think he'll be a little bit more under control. Uh, Neil, to close out our uh, true predictions, uh, before we move into the over-under section, uh, the last question is, what round of the NCAA tournament do the Gators make it to? So, um, 
you know, I've been going back and forth on whether this is like an Elite Eight type team or a Sweet 16 type team. And I'm just going to say second weekend. Uh, <laughs> and and I, so I will say Sweet 16. And that's, that's where I'm going to go right now. Um, and, and here's what I would say about that to people listening that are like, if, if, anybody, if anybody listens to that and thinks, oh, man, only the Sweet 16, just think about how hard it is to make the Sweet 16. Think about the fact that, you know, programs that do that once every five to six years, you know, think it's amazing. Think about the fact that FSU, as good as they've been, Eric, uh, in the last decade, they've done it twice, right? Like, it's not easy. Sorry, three times. Um, forgot about the, the last tournament. So it's just not very easy, and, and um, I think that that would be – a real step forward for this uh, for this program under under this staff, and a testament to how they flipped the roster, which I, I still think one of my maybe my most fierce defense of Mike White, Eric, is that I'm not sure how many staffs would be humble enough to recognize that like the roster they had built was not going to work. Hmm. Yeah, not not many, and you know what? I'm going to join you. I'm also going to say Sweet Sixteen. Uh, it, it's just interesting, like you said, people's reaction to it. it. It just seems like Sweet 16 is like not that much better than the round of 32 in some people's minds. But like, man, the Elite Eight is like a lot tougher than the Sweet 16. Like the difference between being a Sweet 16 team and an Elite Eight one is is such a huge jump where I feel like people just don't always recognize that. So right. I, I'm with you. I, I think Sweet 16 is, is a safe prediction or I shouldn't say safe prediction. It's a good prediction right now, I think. And if they do accomplish that and go no further... I, I think people should be happy, but uh, uh, we're going to move into the over-unders now, Neil. And uh, I'm going to, you know, odds maker was, uh, was Eric Fawcett. So uh, I'll try to let you know my, uh, my reasoning behind my over-unders. Uh, and it. Hey, if they're just terrible, uh, take advantage of my, my awful odds making. But uh, yeah. the first, uh, the first over-under, uh, we kind of maybe teased it a little bit earlier inadvertently you did, but uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, how many games does Florida end up playing this year? The over/under is twenty-four point five, and uh, twenty-seven is is uh, what they're shooting for. So I just kind of arbitrarily set it at twenty-four point five. Yeah, so I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with over, uh, and I continue to think that Florida. You know, we don't know if they're gonna do an MTE, I guess yet, um, other than the multi-team event they're doing at, where is it? Mohegan Sun? Yes. So I think that's probably it. Um, and, and I think that that'll be fine. Uh, you know, I think the biggest question really is we don't know what the virus is going to do. We know that there's this third surge going on right now. We don't know how long that's going to last. There's a lot of unknowns, Eric. But for now... I think it's easier to manage the virus in the world of college basketball. I just really believe that. Uh, so, so I'm going to go. Yeah. With, that's what I'm going with. All I'm, right. I, I'm, I'm glad you're off. Sorry. Oh, oh no. What were you saying? <laughs> I was going to say, I also think with like a bubble NCAA tournament, you know, maybe even if they have cancellations, they'll get over that 24.5 number. Well, this is the uh, the uh, I'm going to say under. Um, I'm glad you're more optimistic. My fear, I guess, is that 
it's not a matter of if like teams are missing one game at a time. I think if you miss one game, you're going to end up missing four. If that makes sense. I think one, you know, missed game is going to be kind of two weeks like football. And that could be four games, if not maybe more. So I'm going to say under for that reason. And I'm going to say that it's kind of like Florida has one. I don't want to use the term outbreak here. I'll say, you know, but one situation that takes away a few games and let's say, and let's say Florida is supposed to play at Texas A&M and Missouri. And both of them have some problems. So it's nothing that Florida does. It's out of their control, but they miss games that way. So I'm going to say under, I hope I hope I'm wrong. I'd be so happy to be wrong and concede that point to you in our in our total. <laughs> but uh, this is uh, this is the most the most hyped question that I could hype uh, over under in this made up game that I have for you, Neil. It is where is Florida going to rank in average possession like possession length offensively? The over under is 75th. And I while you think about that. Uh, I'll tell you this, the, so for example, Florida was 55th in, in uh, the elite eight year. So that was a 55th team, uh, 55th ranked team. And then last year, Florida was 237th in, in uh, average possession length. Wow. So the over under is, uh, the over under is 75th. Where do you think Florida lands over under that number? Under. Okay. Now I I'm also going to go under. I thought I might be able to to get you to say to get you to say over. What would that what would the over under have taken for you to say for you to say over? A hundred. Okay. So I think they'll be close, but I don't think they're going to get into that that category quite yet. I I think so too. I think that's a huge bridge to cross. I thought I could entice you to go over. I (laughs) I was, I was going to go under the whole way. So I couldn't sneak one past you. Uh, It's good. I like it. (laughs) This, this is one that, uh, that I think could be very interesting. Where does Florida finish in Ken Palm defensive efficiency? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm phrasing the question wrong. Uh, Florida's finish in in Ken Palm defensive efficiency. The over-under is set at 20th. Um, As you think of that number, uh, it's uh, important to note that Florida has had four top 25 defenses under Mike White. And last year they were 61st. So the over-under for next year, 20th. So I'm going to go over. But I'll tell you this. If you had put it at... 30 i probably would have gone under so i think you're it's so close you're a good odds maker <laughs> what would be what would be your exact number what would be your exact number if you had to guess not you this is not going i'm just i'm just this is my 26 or 27 something like that yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go over as well i don't i don't think they're gonna crack a top 25 yeah uh, so let's go into uh um, I actually, uh, I sorry, I actually realized I, I kind of phrased the question incorrectly. Then, sorry, I just with the phrasing of over or under in possession length, I am changing mine to to over. Um, I joined you in under, but I think that they are going to be yeah lower than seventy fifth. So or that's you know, what I, yeah, that's what I meant. So, oh, okay, so yeah, you'll be you'll be the same. So sorry, this the phrasing of my questions is an odds maker, very <laughs> poor. But uh, but. Uh, now we're going to move to Ken Palm offensive efficiency. The over under is 17th. Uh, Florida was 27th in offense last year. Um, Mike White incorrectly stated in a press conference that Florida was top 25 last year, uh, but that they were close. They were 27th. So yes, over under 17th for next year in offensive efficiency. All right. I'm going to forgive Mike for getting that wrong by two <laughs> spots. And I'm going to say 
that I think they'll do it. I think this will be his most efficient offensive team. Uh, and, and the two reasons I think that are, I think they have a really nice change of pace when they switch to, to Appleby or Quest Glover, who's had a good camp, by the way. Um, and I also think that Keontae Johnson being like a focal point of the offense makes them much more efficient. And you got to remember that, like, we spent half the season last year wondering why Keontae wasn't getting more touches, right? So yeah. that's that's why that's why I think that. Let, let's look at uh, let's look at the facts. I mean, last year Florida had multiple weeks to start the season where they were very poor offensively. They also had a stretch in the middle of the season where they were very poor offensively. Uh, they still got up to 27th in adjusted offensive efficiency. I also think this team has better offensive weapons than last year. So for them to get to 27 last year, despite a couple bad bad weeks. I don't think that those bad weeks are going to occur this season. And I think Florida has better offensive options. I think this is a top 15 offensive team, baby. So uh, yeah, we're yeah. on the same. Uh, this one might be the, th this one has some push potential. I'm going to say Keontae Johnson, all American, the over under is second team. So as a reminder, there is only a first officially, there's only a first team and second team uh, All-American. So, of course, you could go, you know, over with him being a first team All-American. You could say under, he's not going to be on any All-American teams. Or you could push and say you think he's going to be a second team All-American. So cheating just a tiny bit and looking up. Uh, yep. Okay, so I'm going to say he's an honorable mention All-American, which would be whatever... I don't know if that's is that under or is that over. I'll say, yeah, we'll call that we'll call that under. Yeah, so that's my that's my bet. The Florida's uh, last All American All American was Scotty Wilbekin. Uh, the they've had Chandler Parsons was also an SEC Player of the Year and he was honorable mention All American. And so that's what I'm going with. I, I think that Keontae joins Chandler Parsons and Casey Prather. As an honorable mention, All-America. Yeah, I, I'm also going to say he doesn't hit that second team mark. Um, I just think that Florida is going to be pretty deep, and I don't think that Johnson's going to have the opportunity to, like, shoulder a team and put up just, like, awesome numbers. So, I, I mean, the, the hope would be that Florida is a really good team. Keontae Johnson is unquestionably the best player, um, and that kind of puts him into that consideration. But I, I just don't see him having the raw numbers because – I think it's going to be kind of spread the wealth with this team. So I, I'd probably join you all, all uh, honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, and you know what, Eric, I do think he's going to win SEC player of the year. Like I've been kind of trying to decide if I will pull the trigger on a Kentucky player for that award. Um, you know, especially now that Olivier Saar is eligible uh, and gives them that kind of veteran presence. That's going to make their, their, their backcourt even better you know, just by having him in the front court. Uh, and then, you know, I love Jaden Shackelford, dude. But, um, yeah, I just think Keontae's going to win. Yeah, and that's another thing, too, is, hey, if uh, if he is the if he is the player of the year in the SEC, does, you know, there's I think there'd be an argument to say, like, he's got to end up on a second team. I, I don't know, like, it obviously maybe doesn't have to happen. Right. But 
Uh, at the same time, if people who win SEC Player of the Year, they usually find their way onto the first or second All American team. So, right, there's a chance, but yeah, I guess we're we're both not doing it. We can't, both can't do it. Uh, this is a fun one. Scotty Lewis three point percentage. The over under is thirty seven percent. So he was thirty six point one last year. He started the season shooting very poorly. He ended the season shooting really well. So uh, I just thought I'd say, well, you know, usually players get a little bit better shooting. So I thought I'd set the over-under at 37%. Under. I think he's going to be like 35, 36. Yeah, I, I, I'm there with you. As, as I watch all of his shooting possessions from last year, I just still don't love this the stroke. There, there's a lot of talk coming out that he's really shooting the ball well, and uh, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I think he's somewhere near like a, a league average shooter. Would you say that, that? Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, you didn't mention that's what the yeah, percentage you're expecting. Okay, next we have, this has this has push potential. Uh, <laughs> this is Florida's SEC finish. The over-under is third. Push. Okay. Thought I, I needed you to get a push on one. I, I tried on a few, so I'm glad I got you on this. I think it's Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida. Ah, this might be optimistic. I'm going to go Florida second. So I'm going to say that they finish over. And uh, I'm just going to, it's, I really think, okay, there's, there's definitely been like a lot of talk where like people are like, oh, like Olivier Sar is getting overrated because he went to Kentucky. Uh, oh, it's going to be like Reed Travis. Uh, I, I I think that's disrespectful to Olivier Sar. I think it he's is. so much better than Reed Travis. Uh, I think he, uh, yeah, I just think he's a much better player than Reed Travis, and I've just seen the Reed Travis comparison too many times. And, uh, yeah, I, I think he makes a very big difference. So, man, I do think that Kentucky would be – or is going to be very, very good. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, th- I just think that – I think that uh, still, even with that being the case, I, I, I'm just going to hope that Florida gets into gets into second. Tough for me to imagine them winning the league this year. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to take the tight window, just like you took the tight window of pushing. Uh, I'll take the over. Is uh, How crazy do you think that is? I don't think it's crazy at all because Kentucky is relying on B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark. And, like, I know that we talk about how every year, right, they're so young, they're so young, they're so young. But they really are. Like, they they return – four and a half minutes and three rebounds in, <laughs> in their rotation. That's it. So I think when you're dealing with COVID, you're dealing with weird practice situations. John can't take his team to the Bahamas and play 10 games against national teams, right? They're not, that's a, that's exaggeration people, but they do, they do tend to go on a trip and play a bunch of games that are also on SEC network at like two in the morning. Um, <laughs> the, I just think it's going to be very challenging to their normal formula. And I know we've had guys on the show that either agreed with me totally, Rob Duster, or didn't know Blake Lovell, right? And both we love both those guys. Um, but, but yeah, I don't think you're crazy at all, Eric. I, I, I totally could see a scenario where Kentucky finishes like fourth in the league, but then ends up being the most dangerous team in the NCAA tournament, right? Uh, that – is not beyond the realm of imagination. I think Florida is a team with like, you know, Florida's floor is pretty high, right? Like I think at worst, they're like a fifth or sixth in the SEC. So that's kind of my take on that. Yeah. With a, with a shortened non-conference schedule. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some teams that in the SEC that could get Kentucky early before they've kind of gelled and, and that could hurt them. So 
but there's also teams in the SEC that could kind of sneak into that kind yep. of, you know, like we're talking about these big three here. But, yeah, there's there's some teams that could sneak in. So Alabama, maybe they get hot and, and just slip in. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, but I'm glad we're, we're both optimistic. But I'm also glad we had different answers because that'll make the standings much, 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 much more interesting when one of us will uh, at least one of us will be uh, will be wrong there. Uh, so this is probably the most confusing, Neil. I probably shouldn't have kept this this uh, this question on, uh, but I did. So just pay attention with me here. Um, ideally, I would say how many wins is Florida going to have? And I would set the number at like some number and you'd be able to say will florida you know you'd be able to give an over under we don't know exactly how many games florida is going to play so what i'm going to say is florida's regular season winning percentage the over under is 70 percent now for example or so for example 21 and 10 would be under that would be 67 percent and 22 and 9 for example would be 71 percent and that would be over so those are kind of the like <laughs> that that's kind of your ball there that's kind of just something to put it into some context so like if you think florida would go 21 oh. and 10 if they were playing a normal season that would be under anything better than that would be over so a little bit confusing hopefully everyone kind of hung with that but i i just couldn't do an actual just i didn't want to say hey the over under is 21 and a half wins and then if some games don't end up being played that question's a wash so that's why i went with winning percentage oh man this is a tough one too can I go? I'm going to go over. Okay. I, I this is this is something interesting. Off the top of your head, let's say let's say Florida's game, their non-conference game that's currently that with UConn that's gone. Let's say they filled it with like let's just say it was Grand Canyon. We we know it will be Grand Canyon, but let's say it's a game that we feel relatively confident that Florida wins. Uh, what losses would you expect in the non-conference? You don't even have to say. Sorry, you don't even have to necessarily necessarily say what teams. How many losses do you think Florida might take in uh, in non-conference? Well, I think they're going to lose to Virginia, and I know we might actually disagree on that. Um, so let me pull the let me pull it up here, knowing that that we don't have. Uh, so yeah, so I think that. I think they'll beat Oklahoma. I think they're going to lose to Virginia. He has not lost to Bob Huggins yet, and I'm sure Bob Huggins knows that. Uh, yeah, so looking at this non-conference schedule, the way it sets up, I think Virginia is an L, and I say West Virginia is an L, which would be two. And that's why, that's why Eric, that's why I go with over on that win percentage question because I only think they're losing twice in the non-conference. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I think this one's tough. I think uh, I think I made pretty good odds on that one. I'm going to go over with you as well. Uh, but I'm glad that glad that you had to think. And uh, man, let's just let's once again just hope that Florida can beat Florida State. We all desperately want it. Uh, the next uh, next question is Florida's NCAA tournament seed over under 4.5. Oh, so, you, threw, <laughs> you threw a 0.5 in there. So that's a four or a five, right? Yes. Had to throw the, yeah, no, no pushes here. 4.5. Yeah. I mean, I think they're going to be a four seed. So that would be uh, under. 
All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to join you too. But yeah, I think the margin is close. Like if I had to bet, yeah, I would say a four seed. I thought you'd be the same way. So had to go 4.5, but yeah, I couldn't good. quite get it. Couldn't quite get it to 3.5. That would be, that would have been tough. But uh, yeah. And, and again, once again, if Florida is a four seed and they make the sweet 16 and know better, I mean, that's kind of what's expected out of them. And that's still a good season. So uh, yeah, Florida's Florida fans reaction to something like that would be interesting to see. Absolutely. Uh, here's uh, here's one that uh, I'm interested in your answer. So Florida three-pointers made per game. The over-under is set at 8.2. So for reference, last year they were at 7.1. Now let's also remember with this question that Florida played at a super slow pace last year. And this is, uh, this is a question that pace plays a role because this is just total three-pointers made not just uh, you know something like a per possession basis. So so pace is going to play a role here. So last year the Gators were 180th in three pointers made per game. Um, 8.2 would have put them at 75th. Yeah. So I'm going over, and the reason I'm going over is that I think I think uh, with with Appleby added, um, I still think Quest can shoot. You know, there's a lot of other issues with him, but he can definitely shoot the ball. Uh, and I think he'll shoot it better than he did last year. Anthony DeRuji, your boy, shot like 35% or 34% from three at Louisiana Tech, which is a pretty good number. Um, so I don't think he's going to hesitate to let it fly. We know Keontae can let it fly. If they're playing quicker, I think they get to like nine. Whew. Yeah, nine would be uh, nine would I think put them in the top twenty. So uh, just as a reference point of uh, last year. So, but so yeah, man. Apparently the odds maker was way off on that one to try to try to make it tough for Neil. Uh, but I'm actually going to say under. I I think that uh, you I you know you alluded to this earlier, and I thought for that reason you were going to go under on this, but you didn't. Uh, that you mentioned that there's going to be a lot more attacking of the hoop this year. That's and true. you know what, attacking the hoop. Um, attacking the hoop is what actually, you know, turns into three point shots. Guys attack the hoop, help comes over, you hit the open man and they can shoot the three. So it's not like it's uh, it, it totally changes things. But I, I do I do look at some of these players like, you know, a taller Trey man uh, bringing in Anthony Deruji, uh, Tyree Appleby, who I think can be, you know, he's someone who shot a lot off the catch or sorry, off the dribble, but not as much off the catch. I think he'll be looking to attack. I think that the reason that Florida is going to be a much better def- or offensive team this year is that they're going to get so many more buckets inside almost in a fashion similar to to LSU last year who was so good offensively because they lived in the paint and got easy buckets around the rim uh so that's where I see the big improvement for Florida's offense this year so just kind of I don't think that Florida is going to be a team that's not good at shooting the three and that's why I'm going to say under I just think they're going to get their buckets inside so a little departure there from uh from a little bit of our uh our thoughts but uh yeah does my reasoning make sense there do you still think I'm way off no it makes a lot of sense you know wouldn't be surprised at all if this is one that that you get right and uh I'm off on I just like the volume of shooters that Florida has better. I didn't even mention Resentev, who I think is going to pop some daggers. Well, let's see. I mean, let's not forget that Mike White said he knocked down shots like Noah Locke, so uh, would love to see that. Uh, We are coming to our last over-under of the evening, of the season. Uh, It's a fun one. Uh, It is Virginia versus Florida, over-under on points, 122.5. So just as a reference, 
uh, because I'm sure you don't know this because I, I had to research it. Um, I went and I averaged out every ACC game for Virginia last year. And the average, depending on your betting service, was either 118.5 or 119. So that's kind of like the average Virginia game. That's what the over-under is set at. I know Florida's determined to run. We both think Florida's offense is going to be really good. So I did hike up that number from what the ACC average for was for Virginia. And I said 122.5. But I just wanted to give you that context because I'm sure you don't know Virginia over-unders off the top of your head. Because So, man, I'm going to go over because I think this game kind of plays out like some of these Virginia-Duke games where Duke can dictate a little more tempo. But – it's so early that I still think Florida's going to be like finding their identity on defense. And, you know, as much crap as UVA takes sometimes. Uh, and I know we've, we've had this discussion on our ACC preview and like you weren't necessarily sure. Like, I think your concern was like Virginia scoring, but I don't know, like just something about playing like Sam house or that early is, is freaky to me. So I'm going over slightly. Yeah, I'm going to go under. I just think that, uh, yeah, I just think early in the season, Florida is not going to be super used to, to playing at their uh, the, the high tempo they want to be at. Uh, Florida fans are going to be really disappointed if this game is the under. But uh, I, I'm going to go with that. I just think, once again, I, I maybe again, I did have the advantage because I was looking at all these ACC games yeah. last year and I saw, I didn't see if those, I didn't see how many actually, how many overs actually hit or, or unders. I just looked at what it was was entering the game and uh 122.5 would have been higher than than any acc game so i guess i'm going with like vegas here and i'm going to assume for that reason that vegas is going to have this game like over under 119 or so so uh i'll say under but uh uh yeah and hey maybe that maybe the under still hits and it's because florida ends up winning by 15 hey that that'd be fun but uh uh yeah, that's uh, Virginia's just too good at slowing teams down. But I uh, had to throw in a Virginia over and under because I know you and me are so excited for that game. And it'll just be something to watch for. Yeah, it'll be awesome. And, and you know what? I'm looking at Bart Torvik now, so I'm cheating a little bit. But, you know, it, if you like offensive rating as a stat, kind of to, to rebut my own argument that, like, Florida's defense might be an issue in that game – you know what UVA has no player other than Sam Hauser with a rating over 110? I mean, you could count Jay Huff, but he doesn't score enough or take enough shots. So it's kind of like, it's like Omar Payne's 120, right? Like, okay, well, he averaged two points a game. So I'm not sure what to make of his 120. Whereas Florida has like five guys that they <laughs> have an offensive rating over 110, including your boy, Osayo C. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, that's that's the end of our over unders and our season predictions. So, do we need to get into any OC fours? I think we're gonna be another podcast. We're gonna save Osaya for <laughs> Osaya Justin Leon Osifo for the next pod. But man, this was that's... fun. And, and I gotta say, people, Eric Fawcett leading the show tonight was the hot fire. <laughs> well, you know, Neil, Neil, you do so much of the work normally. I was glad I could uh, could take one for uh, for uh, just one night, one podcast. But uh, it's going to be something really fun to to look back at, uh, both after the Virginia game, after the Florida State game, uh, but as well at the end of the season. And I'll be uh, interested who who ends up getting more right. I love it. I love it. Thanks everybody for listening. Enjoy your uh, football weekend. Hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, 
Uh, the Gators have a W, and it's Georgia week. So enjoy.